0: You know, it's nice to be married to somebody who likes the same things as you. In fact, that really should be the goal, to try and marry somebody who likes the same things as you. Makes life a lot more fun. However, it can bring with it its own set of confusions. Because when you like the same things, you often have the same things. And then you've got to figure out which is which, right? Hey, did you take my water bottle? Well, how do I know that it's yours and which one is mine? Well, I put a little C on the bottom because that one's yours because they're identical. Hey, what happened to my cup? Hey, whose hiking bag is this? You find yourself, when you like the same things, buying the same things, and then you're always asking the question, which is which? Whose coat? Whose umbrella? Now, the Pharisees confront Jesus today with a which is which test. Which is which? Whose stuff is God's? Whose stuff is Caesar's? Now, before they test him, they butter him up a little bit, right? They say, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And do not care about another's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Now, they're buttering up with something that is good. This is a good thing that you are not swayed by appearances, right? The scriptures speak about this abundantly, that you don't judge a book by its cover. You don't look at somebody and what they're wearing or maybe what they look like and decide that they're good or they're bad. We all know that police profiling has its own set of problems. Just because people look a certain way doesn't mean they're automatically guilty of doing something wrong. Do you want to go to court and have a judge judge you already by what you're wearing. Well, they're not wearing a suit and tie, so they're probably guilty. It is truly a godly thing, not just a good thing, but a godly thing to not be swayed by appearances. The Jews would have remembered how God chose David to be king after Saul. Remember the story of how the prophet Samuel was sent to go and pick out David out of all of Jesse's sons? And when they came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So it is not only a good thing to not be swayed by appearances, it is, in fact, godly. And so they're commending Jesus, recognizing that in him is not only goodness, but godliness. But then they move in for the kill. Is it lawful, they ask? They test to pay taxes to Caesar or not. Which is it, Lord? Do we give Rome the money that they're demanding from us as occupiers? Or do we keep it so we can give it to the temple and further the future of the Jewish people? So here's the test. If Jesus says a simple yes, the crowds will hate him because they hate Rome. But if he says a simple no, then Rome is going to hate him because Rome is in charge and is always on the lookout for rebels. So which is which? Taxes for God or taxes for Rome? How is he going to answer? Well, the answer is by turning the tables, so to speak, which he actually does physically on the tax that's being collected in the temple. But this time it's done metaphorically. He says to these Jewish leaders who are testing him in the temple of God, the one place where everybody should remember and be striving to keep the commandments, he says, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, because it's like they don't get it yet, and maybe you don't either, whose likeness and inscription is this? You see, Jesus has already passed the test. He's already won. It just might be that they don't know it yet. Because where are they? In the temple. And what is forbidden in the temple? Graven images. The first commandment, right? You shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make a graven image. In the form of clay, of a bird, or an animal, or a sea creature. And what are these good, devout, upright, godly Jews carrying around in their pocket in the temple of the Lord? An idol. That's what they're doing. They're carrying around an idol in their pocket. Because it's not just a coin with a graven image on it of Caesar. But it says on that coin, Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. They have a false god in their clothing in the temple. And they have the gall to test Jesus. Which is which why Jesus gives that answer. So, give to Caesar that idol thing you have, what is Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. But that still leaves us with the big question, right? The question I asked at the very beginning, the question that you should all be asking in your mind right now, which is, "Okay, pastor, which is which?" What do we give to Caesar and what do we give to God and how do we tell them apart? How do we know when we're giving the right thing to the right person? Well, there's some simple rules of thumb. First of all, what is Caesar's is really those things that do not last. They're finite. They're temporary. They're disposable. They're the things about which we say you can't take it with you when you die. Really, all of those things from a certain point of view are Caesar's because they're not eternal. Think about that coin, that coin, that denarius that they pulled out of their pocket, showed to Jesus. How many of you have been to a museum that has ancient coins in it? You often try and figure out what's on that coin because it's rusted and it's old and it's been hammered around and it's been dug up out of the earth where it's been laying for thousands of years, right? Those coins rust, they decay, they do not last. Even our wonderful new Canadian money, paper money, that's designed to last longer, still doesn't last forever. When I think about the things that are Caesar's, I think about Percy Bysshe Shelley's very famous poem, Ozymandias. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. No one even remembers Ozymandias. The things of Caesar's get buried, and we cannot take them with us. The church exists both in Caesar's realm and God's realm. And I want to talk for just a moment about how the church exists in Caesar's realm. We don't like to think about this, but it's a reality. We pay lighting and heating bills to Hydro-Quebec, right? We pay internet and phone bills to Tech Savvy. We pay cleaning bills to Ace Cleaners and to others who work on our building. We are a registered corporation with the government of Quebec. We need directors. We have to submit those names every year. We have to comply with the regulations of the government of Quebec and of the Canada Revenue Agency and submit all the paperwork that they need each and every year. Now, there is the part of the church that's eternal, and that's the part that really matters, and it's the part that lasts forever, right? And that is those people who are called by God in Christ's name, and we'll talk about them in a minute. We don't have to have a building. We don't have to have internet or phone or heating. But without those things, if we ever try and gather together to receive God's gifts, it's going to get awfully cold. As it is right now, we didn't have someone to remember to call the person that comes and turns on our furnace for the winter. They're coming on Tuesday, so we wish we will have heat for next Sunday. But if you're feeling a little bit cool, it's because that part of the church exists in the realm of Caesar. We don't file our paperwork with Canada Revenue Agency and Revenue Quebec. You don't get your tax deductions at the end of the year. Can you have a church without tax deductions? Absolutely. Can you have a church without offerings? Yes, you can. It's just not as comfortable. And we might find that we miss having seats to sit in, in a place that's warm and lit. We might miss the ability to log in online and just watch the service through the internet when we're not able to come in person. To exist in Caesar's realm, Ascension Lutheran Church needs members of our council, the board of directors. We need collection of offerings. Not to pay me or Kayla or Anna. We actually raise almost all of our own funds so that we can be here with you. But if you want to have the building, and you want to have lights, and you want to have heating, and you want to have tax deductions, then you have to have these things that are of the world of Caesar. But what are the things that are of God? Those things we don't need to worry about losing. Those things can never disappear. Those things are eternal. They are worth holding onto forever. They are stored up in a place where moth does not eat and rust does not destroy, as Jesus says. As we just said a few or sang a few moments ago in our psalm, all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. At the end of the day, the church is not a building. It is not a tax ID number, a government of Quebec registered corporation. The church is the people of God called through the gospel of Jesus Christ to be his own. Luther summed it up best when he was asked, what is the church? He said, even a seven-year-old knows what the church is. It's sheep who follow the voice of their shepherd. And you can do that without all of these trappings, which causes us to have to operate in Caesar's realm. And besides all this, Caesar himself is beholden to God. Caesar himself has to cling to the things of God whether he likes it or not, even for his own power. That's the point of our Old Testament reading for this morning. The Lord calls for himself an anointed one. You know the word in Hebrew for anointed one, it's Messiah. You know the word in Greek for anointed one, it's Christ. God calls for himself a Messiah, a Christ, and his name is Cyrus of all things Cyrus the Great, the king of the Medes and Persians, the leader of Iran back in the day. And he calls on him to deliver his people. The Lord says to Cyrus, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hoards in secret places. Why? That you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. So the good news for us this morning is also that when we render to Caesar, even then, In a very roundabout way, we are rendering to God. So which is which? Well, the reality is that our lives are a constant test of choosing. Much like Jesus was tested by the Pharisees, we find ourselves being tested. Are we going to give this to Caesar or to God? Which is God's and which is Caesar's? If we put too much stock in what is Caesar's and do not cling to the things that are of God's, it only brings us grief and anxiety in this life. You never worry about the things that are of God's. It's always the things of Caesar's that we're concerned with. Because Caesar's world does not last. We sing it in the old hymn, crumbled have spires in every land, but God made the heavens Wherever the scriptures sound, God remains at work, calling his own to rest. Caesar's gifts do not last, but God gives us gifts that cannot be taken from us. Forgiveness, salvation in the name of Jesus, eternal life. He gives us those gifts in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Which is which, one passes away, but one is yours forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I invite you to rise as we join our hearts